Hey everyone, Father Yuri here. I am including the extended Patreon-only interview of Justin Coop, who was the second person I interviewed here on The Public Show, uh, to give an example of the kind of content that exists for the patrons. So if you're not a patron, enjoy the show. If you're a patron, enjoy the show. Uh, but here is my interview with my best friend, Justin Coop, that we recorded in early August. Enjoy. Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? You've been buttering me up, talking about how great <laughs> orthodoxy is and everything. It's great. And talking about all the problems that the Mennonites have. They got okay, lots. Okay, we're going to flip the tables. Tell me the parts of orthodoxy that infuriate you that make you want to pull, that make you want to pull your hair out uh, uh, and and don't spare man. don't spare don't spare me and also the parts of the mennonite tradition that mm. you like never want to let go yeah right that these are essential uh, aspects i see i think if orthodox my this is my bias but i think that if orthodoxy was was followed to the spirit of what it sets out to do, which is that Christocentric uh, cruciform. I'm using Father Thomas Hopko language here, by the way. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. finished re-listening to his sermon series. Uh, mm -hmm. Where I think that I think that the Orthodox Church would look very different from the way that it looks today. In its uh, in its specifically, my biggest problem with the Orthodox Church is in its ecclesiology. So how it runs, organizes, and understands itself as a body, like uh, and and it's the functioning and running. So that includes things like uh, women being excluded from priesthood. Uh, it includes, um, I'm see like. Some of this stuff is like, like hierarchy my hierarchy in general. Hierarchy in general. Um, the 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 what I again I, I'll try. I guess I'll, I won't be charitable. The bloated bureaucratic fog that seems to surround everything that is uh, is orthodoxy. Like it seems to me. That in a situation that that like a community, a large community of people in the Orthodox Church will have consensus about something and nothing will be done for a very long amount of time. And part of me is like, OK, yeah, that's that's prudence, right? Like, let's be prudent. Let's think about things. Let's think. Let's let things set. We're part of a 2000 year tradition here. Let's let's give it a minute. And then there's let's let's give it a minute and a couple and, hundred years. Yeah. And then but then part of me is also like the church in the first century was so powerful because it was able to move as these independent units like we didn't have like, yes, there was a bishop of an area, but like every like you just couldn't have that level of power because of the technology, right? Like there's a reason Paul had to write letters to people to be like, Hey, uh, don't do that. Yes. Yes. You can eat meat sacrificed, but if it makes people stumble, don't right. Like, and, and, but so there was, there was the problem that they ran into, which was there were, there was problems, but then that the churches were being adaptable, movable, present, relevant, to their local concept, like con like their local people, um, and they were growing in number, and, and people were becoming saved. 
Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I can't tell you because I'm not really in de- deeply in your tradition, but I, I, I don't know whether it's a chicken or egg thing, whether why there seems to be, it seems to be so hard for the, for the Orthodox church to do evangelism. Why is it so hard for the Orthodox church to reach out? Why is it seems so content to just be, uh, you know, the, the two babushkas in the back, right? And the one priest continuing to do his liturgy. Um, what, what, I don't know, have the answer for that, but I see that, I see that attitude in some of the Orthodox church. Again, I'm not going to say all, cause there's like very vibrant and evangelical, uh, like here, I mean, evangelical in terms of doing evangelism, uh, orthodoxy that exists, but, um, and also there's something limiting about the Orthodox, like expressions of what it means to be the church by by requiring you to do always do the liturgy like what i'm doing right now as a ministry so for the listener i i run a ministry so it's a church plant we we do regular services but we also we're focused on reaching the nerd geek and gaming community and so a lot of what i do for church a lot of what i would consider worship and and the life of faith exist in voice chats exist on podcasts, exists on conversations that I'm having with people while playing video games with them. And um, uh, from what I can see, I, I, can, I can't see that having a home in the institution of orthodoxy. Perhaps I might be blessed to do that by, by a priest or by my, by my bishop um, and to say, depending again maybe not because they may have very serious questions about that or something um but uh i might be blessed to do that but to have a place among the in the in the full orthodox church is there does there exist a a community of orthodox people who only gather online and they they each take their crackers that have not been blessed and they eat it and that is the body and blood of Christ, right? Like, um, how, how would they, like, there's, there's just, um, yeah, that, that kind of ecclesiolo- ecclesiological closedness, uh, I think represents, uh, like, it would just be very difficult for me to be who I am in the Orthodox tradition because I, I am someone who wants to go and reach people where they are at. And it would be hard for me to bring the liturgy to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Like how, like, like if I want to reach the gaming community, how, how am I supposed to bring the liturgy to them? How would, how, first of all, how would any gaming community engage with the liturgy as it is period? Because it's so disconnected from their experience and their language. And then even if they were to, how would I actually bring that to them where they are at, which is a digital space, right? Um, and I'm not even saying that's impossible. I'm saying that that's like just not um, it, the framework isn't there for that for that for what 
that core Orthodox experience to be being easily and flexibly taken to the people. Is that like, like, do you think that that's a fair criticism or do you think that that's like, what do you think of that? I I can completely understand why you feel that way, right? That's fair. You probably have your pushbacks. I think so. I I think so. But part of it is also my own life story in that I grew up in the church, right? Mm -hmm. And and I understand orthodoxy the same way you might understand your own family, that you know all of the amazing parts of everyone around you, but you also know those like weird things that you just want to keep, you know, <laughs> secret from the rest of the world, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You, you know the good and the bad, and, and you mentioned Father Thomas Hopko before, and in one of his talks he mentioned somebody who told him that, uh, he said, why did you become Orthodox? And this man said, well, it's like Noah's Ark. It's full of animals that stink to high heaven, but it saves you. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and the reason I am... Yeah, the, the reason I'm Orthodox and I'm an Orthodox priest is because I believe that the Orthodox Church uh, is manifesting the kingdom to come. And one of the challenges that we have is exactly what you're talking about. So I, I hear that uh, those observations from you and, and in myself, I, emotionally, I start getting a little excited. I'm like, mm. yeah, how do we do that? How yeah. does the church move forward? But and I think that, I think that, the day that the Orthodox Church uh, becomes that in reality in Canada is the day that I become Orthodox, right? And and, and that's that's one of the I, I don't know if you'll ever become Orthodox. I you know what Yuri? I think there's a very good chance. I think I think you may <laughs> you may have be, have written me off after all these years, but I, I think you really like. So as you soon may, as I give very up, much, uh, you may very much be underestimating how much I love the Orthodox Church and how much uh, I I think that it has a huge amount of truth in it. Um, yeah, I think you're underestimating that. I, and I've also told you we made a pact. Can we sharing with our listeners our pacts? I do not remember this pact. Do you remember so this? you can share it with me. Okay, because like, do you, if well, when our wives die. We're going to go become monks on Patmos Island together. That's standard. I'm a priest now, so when my wife dies... By the way, for our listeners, I'm an Orthodox priest, which means you can get married before being ordained, so... Oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. If there's someone who's listening who doesn't understand that. Um, Yeah, so we're both married, and uh, yeah, we have this... We have... It's like... (laughs) It's like the marriage pact. If we're not married by 40, we're marrying each other or whatever, like... But the opposite. If we're if we're both widowed by sixty or whatever, we're both going to go become monks together. Um. Yeah, seriously. If that happens, I'm becoming Orthodox straight away. No questions. Because then I'm not injured. I, I don't know. Like I I I think I I I really think that <laughs> your your temperament is so radical reforming that I that I that I don't think that the Orthodox Church will ever. Be, like I, I feel like you would need the Orthodox Church to fit you. Don't you guys have David? Be- is it David Bentley Hart, an Orthodox Christian? Yeah, David Bentley Hart's great. David Bentley Hart's like I'm a, reading. He's a radical his, dude, man. I'm reading his book right now uh, that all should be saved about universal salvation. Yeah. So uh, I do not want to be on the butt end of his criticism. <laughs> yeah, he's savage. That guy. But, yeah. but so the point is, I, I, I think, 
I think that there's a good chance. I see. I don't know if I need like the the older that I get, the more I value submission, the more I value what it means to put myself under the authority of someone else and to accept their, their, uh, there's basically kind of their responsibility over me in a sense that like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I will listen to you. And it, when things go wrong though, like it's your, it's also your responsibility. Um, but yeah, I, I think that probably if I joined the Orthodox church, I probably would still be doing a lot of the same things, but I, but I might be, uh, like, but maybe that's maybe at one point that's what I'll feel like is necessary. That's where God is actually is leading me. That's where the Spirit wants me is to be in the Orthodox Church, causing a ruckus, um, and and may and maybe even uh, calling the Orthodox Church to a new way of of um, engaging the North American people in faith and salvation. Right? Um, mm-hmm. I could see that being being a future reality. Uh, so we're, we're now into our the Patreon half of the the interview. Hello, here. patrons. Uh, so we can be we can be a little bit more uh, candid here. Oh, yeah. Um, Finally, so, I can stop lying about how much I love the Orthodox Church. <laughs> um, I'm very glad you read that script so thoroughly. Like it sounded yeah. like you were actually saying. Yeah, I did a good performance, didn't I? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Okay, so so, so one of the patrons? aspects we what, one of the aspects we didn't answer in the first half is uh, what are the aspects of like mm. okay so okay so one of the things about Christianity in general for you seems to be that like that radical reforming thing that is Jesus Christ is necessary whether um, you're Orthodox or Mennonite or, or whatever is that right Yeah, I, see, like part of me is like. A little bit hesitant to just accept that characteristic that you're that you're kind of putting on me, just because like I I think that sometimes there are things that don't need radical reforming. That's mm-hmm. true. Like there's just a thing. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I'm very interested in um oh I'm gonna forget his name, but he's he's a sociologist who became a Christian whose name is invented something or who is known for something called scapegoat theory have you heard of this guy yes i don't remember the name i'm googling him real quick uh scapegoat theory gerard Rene gerard yes yes Yes. Yeah, yeah yeah um one of the things that he says about about Christianity is that Jesus functions as an eternal uh, subverter of our religion. Mm-hmm. That Jesus is both is constantly both affirming our desire to be like himself and. Uh, rejecting the ways that we are falling short mm-hmm. and simultaneously granting us the grace to be accepted anyway. Mm-hmm. And that like one of the reasons he became convinced of Christianity as a religion is that it is, he described it as the only self subverting religion. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's true of Jesus' teachings. Like Jesus and Paul do this really weird thing that that other religions don't do, which is constantly warning people um, about like uh, about these like habits that come in the way. Like, and it's not, it's, and it's in such a different manner. It's not just like, don't, it's not just like, don't sin. It's like you avoid the pattern of this world, be renewed by your mind. Like it's this constant, like process Mm -hmm. of the, the Christian word would be sanctification or theosis or Mm -hmm. different on different words there, but that there's this journeying process where your understanding of your own faith, your understanding of what is right, what is good, is constantly being challenged by Jesus. Uh, and it's one of the reasons I love the parables so much is that, and particularly the, the, um, the prodigal son is, is just fantastic because at every point in your life, you are someone. You are the son, you are the father, you are the brother, you know, you are, um, you are the, the, yeah, you, you know, sometimes you are the, the, the reprobate coming home to the loving arms of the father. And sometimes you are the father and you need to learn to accept someone who's coming home. And other times you're the jealous older brother, right? Who is, who is saying, I have been faithful. Where's my fatted calf? Right. And, and you, as soon, the point is that is as soon as you have, ceased to look for who you are you are are beginning to re-crucify christ again because you are scapegoating someone else where where when jesus has taken all the guilt all the shame all the blame all the sin on himself um and so i i would say like that is that is essential. So I suppose in one sense that is radical. That but I think it is not only radical, but it is it is um it is about a, a growing and flexible faith that is mm-hmm. that is deepening with, with our age. Um yeah, like I, I see because I like and I think that that is like you can you can basically explain everything that's wrong with the church. And I would even go so far as to say society in that through that lens, like that when a person seeks to create something that is rigid, I am the prodigal son and only the prodigal son. I am never the father. I am never the older brother. I am always the victim, right? I'm never the the wounded older brother. Uh, you have you've reached a type of faith that Jesus himself in his own ministry seeks to subvert. Because that's another thing. In Jesus' ministry, sometimes you are the, you know, the woman being accused of adultery. Sometimes you're the crowd throwing stones. Sometimes you're the Pharisees. Sometimes you're the Sadducees. Sometimes you're the fishermen being called. Um, 
and there there's a a cyclical kind of nature to to that and yeah like i i just see people who want to create these rigid absolutes like like an an absolute well I'm not trying to say that there is an absolute truth, just to be clear. that I think that statement might have sounded like I could. Um, I just think that truths, absolute truths are always seen through contextual eyes. I believe that Christ is Lord all the time, everywhere, right? And because Christ is, but because Christ is Lord all the time, everywhere, what like what does that 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 look like in first century Palestine, and then what does that look like in twenty first century uh, Winnipeg? Um, and I think if we tried to do what they did in first century Palestine, I don't think it would work. Right? Um, yeah, it's quite a different society than we have now yep. in, in certain ways, <laughs> for sure. And we well, see I, that I, in the scriptures. So I'm very interested in what you talked about because I, I've recently read Dominion by Tom Holland. Oh, I've been me- I've actually been meaning to read that. Do you want me to mail you this? Because I watched the interview between Tom Wright and uh, Tom Holland, which was yeah, yeah, uh, very That's good. On, um, on um, unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable. The, recommend yeah. that they have a podcast. Highly, highly re- recommend. Um, so in in Dominion, he he points out that his his big argument is that is that the whole Jesus event, and especially as kind of interpreted through Paul, so basically we're talking about the New Testament writings, um, are this sort of inciting incident of this kind of revolutionary thing. That, that reform and revolution are... This is Tom Holland's argument, as far as I understand it. I think we're going to have Tom Holland on here one day. You know, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, he can why explain not? how I'm wrong. You should reach um, out. See, like, honestly, no, I, shoot for I, the moon, I man. will. Yeah. If I'm on the same podcast as Tom Holland, then I'm winning. So, hook <laughs> me up. Then you're saved. <laughs> I think that's what David Bentley Hart mentions. If you're on the same podcast as Tom Holland, then oh. universal salvation will be true. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, work on that, because that's what every Christian <laughs> should hope for, right? Yeah. That's another Thomas Hopko so, quote, I think. So, um, yeah, so he's talking about how reform and reformation and, and, and all that stuff is almost in the DNA of Christianity. Mm. And it's almost... Uh, so when you look at orthodoxy, and especially the ranks of saints, so if you were to think of orthodoxy in, in its institutional form, uh, if you were to, say, read it very cynically, what you would see is saints being people who are like only the rich and powerful, right? Um, that the, the church, like only the influencers, so to speak, right? Um, and that is true to a point, right? So you do have like St. Constantine, who's remembered as a saint yeah, but, for his kingly activity. But you also have right? St. Mary of Egypt, so... We also have St. Mary of Egypt, who is a... a uh, Ex-prostitute? Well, yeah, you, she 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 wouldn't take pay often, so I don't think you can call her a a prostitute. Um, but sex she, worker. yeah, she sex. Mm-hmm. Work, but then, she, what did she work? I don't know. I think she just liked sex. <laughs> How about we put it sure. that way? Well, I think sex um, worker will capture a, the a sex addict. Sure, I think sex addict. So certainly, um, by her own and, words, I think. Yeah, and uh, but but then yeah, you. So this is another Hopko thing is 
you cannot be a saint unless you've been like persecuted by the establishment. <laughs> right? It's just yeah. and sometimes the establishment is the church. Right. right? So so today in in the Orthodox Church, so we're recording this on August 12th of 2020. So today is we we remember the transfer of the like body, the relics of Saint Maximus the Confessor. And Maximus was this monk who basically disagreed with the church, like the Pope, and stood up to him saying, no, I'm not following the party line. They cut off his right arm so he couldn't write anymore, and they cut off his tongue so he couldn't preach. Right. And then they, they sent him off into exile, and, and he died. And he, was only, and he was only vindicated 50 years after his um, death, right. right? That the church was like, oh, you know what? This guy had a point. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, he, yeah. and he lived uh, a holy life. So what I'm encouraged by in, in orthodoxy relative, uh, yes, given its institutional power in certain times and places that the saints almost exclusively are the misfits, hmm. even within the church. Right. Yeah. That 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 to me is one of the testimonies of. But 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 that's also that whole concept of the reform and and that sort of radicalness that that comes with Christianity that there's this whole category of saint in the orthodox church called fools for Christ. Mhm. And these are people like there's famous stories of like it's lent in Russia in the 1800s and all these people all these um aristocrats and everything are going to church like good orthodox Christians and it's lent so they're never going to touch meat ever and this one like homeless guy is sitting outside the door like gnawing on sausage on like good friday which is like you know huge sin yeah and being like like you are worse for the way that you treat all the people around you yeah yeah um so that 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 string still exists in orthodoxy as well yeah and, and that's what i said meant when i said earlier that i i think that um the like when if if the orthodox church looked like how i how i think it aspires to be and like the tradition seems to be pushing itself towards i think i become orthodox immediately um and yeah like i i i see that as as just a fact of christianity that like our there is always the voice in the wilderness there is always um like I just love that that paradigm. There's always the the you know everyone is someone at in the story of the uh, the prodigal son, right? And we just need to be the difficult difficult task of the church is to discern what voice who is the whose voice is the voice in the wilderness crying, repent and be saved, and whose voice is the voice. Uh, that is that is not because there are many voices right that are calling us in different directions um and but i but i i believe that the church will be ultimately successful in god's mission of saving the world because i think that it it cannot remain uh it cannot remain self uncriticized it will always emerge. If the church attempts to clamp itself down and become rigid, it will break, it will break open. I think that's what the Reformation was. 
I, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Like, I, I think the, like, I, I think that there is like, I, my personal belief would be that God infused Christianity with a unique property where it cannot be contained. Um, so here's a fascinating, so, so the Tom Holland takes this argument. So this, this idea that imbued in the DNA of Christianity is this idea of self-criticizing and, and reform mm -hmm. and, and revolution, right? Yeah. That's just in the DNA. And he said that it's, it's so thoroughly embedded in the DNA of Christianity that in the West you have this reformation, which is one of the flowerings of this reforming spirit, right? right. So he would see the reformation as like, um, yeah, just another flowering of that, of that thing. But, but now, he, so he would claim that Christianity was so imbued in Western society that to this day, uh, he would see the enlightenment Right. This idea of, oh, people were ignorant of science and everything, and now we are enlightened and we've received the true knowledge. He would describe that as another reformation of Christianity. <laughs> that it's the same. Yeah, it's the same DNA that's so imbued in all Western people. Hmm. And and to the point now where in North America today, we we're having these like revolutionary movements. So things like um the social justice movement or, or different aspects of, of that and that, that whole cultural phenomenon that's going on right now, including yeah. like Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement, he yeah. would say that's a new flowering of the reforming spirit that is in the DNA of the Christian faith. But one of the issues is that we, so he would say, every, basically, if you're a Western person and you think in a Western way, you live out Christian values, mm -hmm. even if you do not have the belief, the intellectual like agreement in the belief of that God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's, yeah, I think that's completely true. <laughs> like, Sorry, that was just me going on. a. No, I just wanted to get my just, thought out there. I totally, I think that that assessment is totally true. And I think I also would, I would probably even go further and say that when you live out those values without an actual Christocentric worldview, you get really weird stuff. Mm, and like, that's like we talked, we had a conversation yesterday about some of these things. And I think that just for example, I think that one of the reasons that we see in the social justice movement in particular, a sort of like, it's, it's a movement that's all about enhance, like, like extending full rights to everyone. That's the basic idea, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, gay people can't get married. Let's let them marry people. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, black people can't vote. Let's let them vote. Women can't vote. Let's let them vote. Um, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind right. of the basic idea is let's give everybody the equal rights, uh, despite of whatever category. And the, I think despite that being at the center the idea of let's all have everyone be on the same playing field, you'd think that that movement would be centered in like grace and forgiveness and, and like a joy at someone being like, Oh man, I can't believe that we, you're right. All humans are created equal. So why do black people not vote? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. We should let mm -hmm. them do that. That's right. You'd think that when people would do that kind of thing, that the response would be, yeah, forgiveness, grace, happiness, joy, celebration, 
like victory, you know, the things that the Christian church does when we're like, woo, like, yeah, welcome to salvation. Welcome to the party. Right. Like, but we don't see that a lot of, a lot of the time, right. I'm, I'm making a generalization here. We don't see that a lot of the time. Um, and that's because those things are based on those Christian values that, that want those things. Like Tom Holland, I know makes the argument that, uh, for example, human rights are centered on the teachings of Christ, which I think is inarguable. You can't really like from a historical perspective, you can make the argument as a, as an atheist or whoever you are, um, that the, um, that you could, you could make an argument for human universal human, uh, value secular from a secular or just non-religious perspective. I'm sure you can do that, but the truth, the historical truth is that that view is fundamentally founded on the teachings found in Genesis 1. That right. that mankind was created in the image of God. Humankind was made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that gives us this divine and natural equality among all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, As the, the American Constitution would call it, self-evident. That's right, self-evident. Um, now, where that goes awry, I think, is, is as, as far as people step away from the, the truth of the gospel, I would say, we see distortions of those understandings and we see outcomes uh, that are, that are um, un, un, uh, unholy. I mean, at least for, for... Yeah, it's interesting. It's like twisted versions of a good thing. Like, like okay, so this idea that all humans are equal. Right. Well, that came from somewhere, right? Yeah. That, and, and it's and it's rooted in the philosophy and the theology of like the Judeo-Christian thing, right? And and yeah. this is what this is what Nietzsche was talking about when he said God is dead, right? In in the, and he Nietzsche complained that yeah, people said and believed that God was dead, but then they went on living like Christians. <laughs> In that they in yeah. in that they believed people were equal. It's like, well, obviously, only Christians think people are equal. Yeah. So you say you don't believe in God, but you think people are equal, <laughs> and and yeah, if if you don't have that, so this is one. This is an open debate right now. And if you go to Unbelievable, like we mentioned before, there's multiple podcasts that that go through this. But can you actually, in the long term, right? Like it's different for individual people, but in the long term as a society, can you actually? form like good revolutions so to speak or um can you have a good structured society with human equality without the theological foundation right and so so my what i believe is the role of the church in this time in this era in the era of social justice in the era of me too black lives matter and i'm sure many more movements to come I believe that it is our job to be to teach grace above all else because I think that that grace, forgiveness and reconciliation are the only way in my opinion that I see for these revolutionary things to be done um without it just becoming another version of the same old crap. Uh like we we need to be like when when a person it says something that we might identify as racist or sexist or homophobic or whatever 
when that person comes around, when that person sees things differently, when that person, um, even if that person is just reaching out and genuinely asking a question to be like, I don't understand. This is what I think is true, but why am I, why everyone seems to be telling me that what I'm saying is wrong. Why am I wrong? Um, that, that we need to teach people how to be gracious in the way that Christ is gracious, uh, which is that sort of always embracing perspective. Because I, I don't think that the, any of these movements work if it's just th people battling each other and there's no embrace of each other. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing right now is that people are on both sides are just feeling that exclusion from each other and that distance from each other. And... Even like I like so many people I know would be willing, I think, to change their opinions on things if there was more of a uh, a place for them to feel like, yeah, I actually belong here. Like you're not just trying to uh, hurt me. You're trying to actually like include me in this thing. Um and that's like a struggle I had to go through a big time. Like uh, for a long time, for years, I was asking what I think I, I think I get it. I think I want to be a part of these social justice movements, but what is my place? I'm a, I'm a white heterosexual man, Christian, very much all of those things. Um, and so, yeah, what is my, what is my place? And that's where I've come out is, is yeah, I'm, I, my Christianity dictates everything. And my Christ loyalty is loyal, more loyal to Ed than any other loyalty. And so the thing that I can do uniquely in this situation is teach grace. Um, teach radical grace and forgiveness. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's Amen. my that's Amen. that's my hot take on that. Amen. <laughs> By the way, you use the term hot take. I'm going to be releasing hot takes on Fridays for this podcast. Ooh. So I take a little bit out of the Patreon episode, like three to five minutes, something sure. that you say, and then it it comes out on a Friday as a hot take. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Maybe that's it right there. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Justin. This was. Uh, it was great. And like we didn't even talk about like your family and your upbringing and, <laughs> and is, seminal moments in yeah, your life. Like yeah, we, yeah. we can do, uh, you're going to be a regular guest. So I would love to come back and talk about it more. I, I think, yeah, that's that thing for me is particularly complicated and we yeah. can get into lots. I did want to, because like I'm assuming your listener, your average listener is going to be an Orthodox person, right? I don't know. Don't so know? our last our last podcast, Bev. So Bev was my first interview, and she said that she talked about the Center for Conscious Living, which is right. This I listened to not, that not church church. Um, and she said people from there were like listening to it and posting it on social media. So I, I don't know. Who knows who's going to listen to this? Okay, I'm 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 hoping this is this podcast will have a wide, uh, a diverse audience at least. I definitely spoke this episode point like to the to an Orthodox listener. 
So mm-hmm. I hope the other listeners found that interesting too. Uh, I think so. I, I, I found it interesting, but you were yeah. talking to me. so Yeah. Well, that's about that. Okay. We'll talk to you there. Thank you, patrons. Yeah. Thank you, patrons. Thanks for supporting my, my good friend, my best friend, Yuri. Make sure to share the Patreon page with your friends. Get them to subscribe. Get your dog to subscribe. And, uh, you know, help, help this thing keep going. Like, we want to we wanna hear lots about people's personal spiritual stuff. Because this, I, honestly, real talk, I think that this kind of thing is where we're going to see, this kind of conversation is how we see real long-lasting change, period. Is like people exploring themselves and people exploring faith and what it means to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think talking about the issues is often a distraction for the work that needs to be done in our hearts. Right, and, right. Uh, I'm more interested in asking people, how are you working on not being a racist than you're a racist or you're not a racist or this issue, that issue, right? Like, um, so I think, I think this podcast to me represents, uh, a desire for people to like get into that space and to work on that stuff and to hear how other people are working that stuff out. 